Hello everyone and welcome to a bonus episode of the Shields Outdoors podcast. In this one we're going to be joined by Tony and Kim Ferry who are our night two guests of the virtual fish series. They're going to be answering the remaining questions that we didn't get to during that live portion of the segment. Here's our bonus footage with Tony and Kim Ferry. Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hi, this is Kim and Tony Ferry, back to answer a few of the questions that we didn't have time for the other night. First question, what's your fly fishing starter kit for someone that is new to the sport, fresh and salt water? Tony? Well, obviously you're going to need a rod, reel, line, uh, collection of flies. That's really the core fundamentals of the tackle game. Um, a nipper is definitely important. Uh, some sort of carrying vest or pack would be really good for the, at least the freshwater side of it. A lot of it determines if um, you're going to be fishing from a boat and or you're wade fishing. Clearly, if you're wade fishing, doing it by foot, and we're talking about cold weather, cold water resources like trout creeks, probably need some waders, boots, yeah, um, things of that nature. I would also recommend a good pair of sunglasses, good hat. Um, but you know, you don't need to go crazy. Um, as far as salt water, um, good UPF protective clothing is certainly important. Again, a good hat and sunglasses. For a freshwater, uh, taking a step back here, just thinking about a rod, I think that like maybe the most versatile rod for most people is going to be like a five weight or maybe an eight weight for freshwater applications. Five weights, very trout and panfish orientated. Eight weight would be more maybe smallmouth bass, maybe some steelhead, uh, you know, smaller salmon, um, certainly pike. Uh, you know, but both largemouth and smallmouth, um, carp, things of that nature. Yeah, so that kind of covers, you know, and then a good reel for saltwater in particular, just because those fish are strong. Um, on the saltwater rod, I'd, I'd probably look at at least an eight weight. Nine weight's really versatile to do a lot of different things. You could bone fish with it, you could catch snook and uh, redfish with it, you could certainly permit fish with it and maybe baby tarpon um you know those are i don't know enough about striper fishing like east coast striper fishing but i would think a eight or a nine would work pretty applicable there um so yeah rod reel line box of flies sunglasses hat um you know protecting your eyes always important you know a couple of ancillary tools uh such as a, a line clipper uh, maybe a mitten clamp or a good set of pliers um, depending again whether you know your smallmouth or pike fishing, you know if it's trout and a way to carry it all. Yeah, yeah. And, a, and a vest or a pack of some kind for hauling it around. Good. Hopefully that answers it. Um, next question: Is it best to always work upstream? 
This would apply to trout fishing. Yeah. I know you have a strong opinion. I would say typically uh, trout fishing, you should always be working upstream. Uh, there are times where the water might be really large, like a big wide piece of water. Uh, then you could maybe, you can sort of work uh, a diagonal, like a 45 degree downstream um, and, and throw your flies you know, downstream at an angle. It allows for a longer drift without as much uh, drag being put on the fly line, causing an, the, the flies to float funny. Upstream solves a lot of those problems. Um, certainly in trout, you're gonna wanna spend the majority of your time upstream. I think if you start getting into warm water fishery, you know, you can go 90 degree angle, slight downstream, but you know, upstream's usually, you're, you're moving into fresh fish all the time that way. Fish in general are gonna fish or face themselves upstream so the water goes through their gills. Um, next question, is the reel at all important or just a line holder? Well, when you're saltwater fishing, the reel is very important because the fish are so much stronger and you're going to need to use the reel to help control the fish. So that's where the drag comes in and becomes very important. Yeah, drag system in saltwater is a, it's a legitimate concern. Um, you know, an inexpensive reel could blow up on one good saltwater fish. In particular, something like a bonefish or a permit, tarpon, um, even a redfish, a hot redfish will peel a ton of line. And when your reel is cranked down and cranking away, puts a lot of pressure and stress into the, really the gears and the mechanisms, what's under the hood, gets super hot. Um, so investing, if you're saltwater fishing, an investment in a better quality reel is definitely worth it. For, I would say generally panfish, trout fishing, you know, a good middle of the road reel does a lot. You know, occasionally you're gonna fight fish from the reel. Um, but I would say, you know, maybe 70% of the time you're able to control the fish just with, you, with your hands and using tension with your finger. Uh, there are tons of great reel options. You don't need to spend a ton if you're a freshwater angler. If you're a saltwater angler and that's what you're gonna be doing, your first saltwater reel, maybe spend a little extra money and get a little bit better drag. It's worth it in the long run. Um, next question, which I think this is an interesting question. What trip got you hooked on fly fishing? Um, and I, I would think for most people, um, you're already hooked on fly fishing before you take that trip. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think for me and so many people, it's when you finally get to the point where you're catching, yeah, I catch two fish and that's a good day like as you're learning. And then pretty soon maybe you're catching four fish. And then you, you know, you're interested in doing like that trip and you go somewhere, maybe it's out west and fish some of the famous trout waters in Colorado, Wyoming, Montana. Maybe you uh, get an opportunity to fish one of the premier smallmouth rivers in the Midwest, the upper Mississippi comes to mind. You know, like, and all of a sudden you have that day that day where you're like i caught a dozen and they were great fish and they were great eats and uh you're smiling all day long that's the one that's the trip and i don't care what it is it's the day that everything comes together we all want to catch fish you know and when you have that day it, it's so rewarding what was it for you 
Um, I, I don't know. Like I said, it. I don't think it was one specific trip that got me hooked on fly fishing. It's the whole process of catching fish differently than with a conventional rod. Yeah. So, um, next question. How do you know what size reel to purchase, which we kind of talked about? Yeah, kind of covered. Um, so the way reels are typically designated when you're, when you're looking at reel sizes is they will have a line weight designation, you know? So if you're fishing a five weight rod, for instance, you know, you could look for a reel that'll handle a four, five, six, or a five, six, or a four, five. Um, those are different line weight sizes. So it really deals with the size of the line, the capacity that you need for backing on the reel, which fills up the arbor, fills up the arbor, and then you get to your fly line. Um, so there is no right or wrong answer. It's finding the reel that matches to the rod and the line that you're going to use. And anybody at a, any good shop, any fly shop, especially the shield stores, you know, those guys are going to help you get into the right gear. And, you know, that's really important. Like right, right reel, right rod, right line, you're golden. Yeah. Um, best fly fishing lake or river in Wisconsin. And I'm going to combine this with the next question, how to catch crappie on the fly. So, cause there's, we love the Wisconsin river because you could catch crappie. You can catch smallmouth bass, largemouth bass, muskie, pike, like gar, so many different styles of fish out there. Um, and my favorite lake in that area um is at governor dodge both of those lakes which is a state park which is a state park Wisconsin. so there's tons of access um but that's a great place to catch crappie called bluegill um musky musky carp there's yeah. so many fish in there's those lakes are in there um there's so many good there's tons of good water in wisconsin depending on geographical regions uh, certainly northern Wisconsin's got great rivers, um, you know, the Flambeau, Chippewa, Namakagan, uh, those all come to mind. The St. Croix comes to mind over on the east coast of uh, Wisconsin, call it, you know, the Door County area has got great Lake Michigan fishing, sight fishing in the, in the big lake. Water's crystal clear and you can see smallmouth and carp there. Um, there's so many lakes. like. I think you could literally almost fish a lifetime and never touch on all the good water and both both Wisconsin and Minnesota, even Michigan. I mean, there's just so much good water in the Midwest. Uh, that's a whole other hour conversation. I, I think a misconception is that if it's a lake, you can't fly fish on it. And you can fly fish any body of water just like a conventional angler would fish any body of water. You just can't um, fish as deep. You can't fish as deep and you um, just focus on construction areas where there's wood, the edges, um, but you can catch fish, fish with a fly rod anywhere. Um, you just have to put in some time and do it. Catching yeah. crappies. Uh, crappie, uh, I would say like from a fly perspective, both in our interview with Ben, uh, we talked about woolly buggers. I would definitely look at woolly buggers or leeches as the predominant pattern, um, small. They're about know, an inch. Inch and a half long yeah. maybe. Um, and 
you know, something with a bead head that's got a little bit of weight. And you typically are gonna find them, you know, shorelines around structure or a weed line or, you know, there's gonna be something that'll attract them there. So if you find them with, a, with spinning gear and you have a fly rod with you, grab your fly rod. <laughs> Absolutely grab your fly rod, bring it along, throw on that woolly bugger and start casting into that school of crappie. Uh, you will have so much fun. Yeah. Like it's just and if you catch one, fun. you will catch 10. <laughs> yeah, if, they're, if there's if a school. They're there. Yeah. Um, next question. Can you suggest a formula for tippet, leader, and fly? Um, okay, so leader, uh, typically you're going to want to use some sort of tapered leader. Uh, tapered leaders tend to, tend to you know, they're, they're thicker at where the fly line and the leader come together. Um, and that really tries to give you a, like a, a sense of power throughout the fly line into the leader as the as the line is turning over. Then as it gets down closer to the fly, it's tapering down to a thinner diameter. Um, I personally like nine foot leaders. They give you a pretty good long length of um, a pretty consistent diameter for the last like two feet. Another good leader is a seven and a half foot tapered leader. Um, you can also build your own leaders and literally do it in multiple sections and use blood knots or surgeon's knots and construct your own leader and, you know, start with, say, you know, 20 pound, go to 16 pound, go to 12 pound, go to eight, go to six, go to four. And that's a lot of knots. Tapered leader does that all on its own. If I'm fishing a 4X tapered leader, um, I'm typically going to either fish a 3, 4, or 5X tippet material, depending on what kind of fish you're going after. Are you tying it in a nymph rig? Are you going to be dropping some split shot? We talked about that the other night. You know, so tying that knot that the split shot can slide down and stay tight to, that all matters. Um, and then flies, and, and typically that tippet section. If, if I was using a nine foot leader, I might actually cut that leader back six, eight inches and then tie maybe 16 inches of a tippet material on. And the reason for the tippet material is as you clip flies and change flies, or maybe you get some knots in it, or there's damage because you get it hung up in wood or a tree branch or something, you can just cut it back and you're not tying in directly to the end of a leader sooner or later you just keep cutting the leader down and now you either have to tie a big section to replace the length or you're swapping out leaders so tippet allows you to extend a leader and extend its life as well um do we use salmon egg imitations i've been thinking about this one and i'm not sure when we've used that last uh, in alaska alaska yeah yeah, um, there are times a year where you can certainly fish, uh, you know, egg patterns. Uh, trout love them. <laughs> they really do. And, yeah, I mean, you'll get steelhead to eat them. Um, I've never really tried them out. I think you'd probably even get carp on them. Uh, but that's maybe it. Um, yeah, we've used them. Um, not my favorite way of doing it, personally. And not often. Not often, but if you were to do a... Uh, just say, for instance, you were thinking of doing a trip to Alaska in, say, September, when the big spawning runs are going on. Uh, that's typically the salmon are doing their thing, and the trout are following in, and they're they're eating those spawn eggs. Uh, it's a deadly way of like you'll you can catch a ton of fish doing it. 
Um, this is a great question. Favorite new innovative fly product? Hmm. You know, I'm not sure. <laughs> for me, um, I think one of the coolest things that you're seeing these days is just innovation in the fly tying world. Uh, people coming up with some really creative new patterns to articulate flies, to give them more lifelike uh, movement, um, different colorations, different materials. Um, that has really been a changer in how successful people fish. Um, you know, you got to change flies, you got to try new stuff and see what's working until you find something. There are classics. You know, fly rods have continued to evolve and like the graphites and the high recovery rates and modern fly rods is amazing and can do a lot for you. I don't know necessarily that a, once you get to an accomplished level of fly casting, you could probably pick up a 20 year old rod and cast it just as well. Therefore, like just thinking about true innovation, I mean, in my mind, it's really about fly patterns and fly tying material and using different construction methods to create, create really cool, interesting new bugs. Um, and this question ties right into that. Do you ever use conventional bass lures with fly gear? We do not. Tried it. Um, I've tried fishing like rubber frogs for bass and it would require a much heavier weight rod in order to handle the weight of the majority of like what I would call traditional, you know, bass lures. They're just heavier than any, than any fly. They're just heavier. And, you know, typically if you're fishing for, you know, largemouth or smallmouth bass, you might be using a six to an eight weight rod. In order to really make those things cast comfortably, you're probably looking at like a 10 weight rod. And that can be pretty tiring over the course of a day. That's a lot of casting with a heavier rod. It wouldn't be my first choice to use traditional, you yeah. know, bass lure style product for um, throwing with a fly rod. Um, Wait, time out for a minute. Let's just make sure, like, I don't know how, how everybody understands how uh, the whole delivery of a fly works. We talked about fly lines the other night, and I think this is such an important thing because it ties to this question. When you're throwing flies, you're, the, the flies themselves have some weight. It's the line that has the weight. And when you get the line moving, you're delivering a lot of energy through that line. And that's what allows the line to turn over and deliver the fly to where you want it to go. When you're using a heavier lure with not a heavy enough line, it creates uh, a really janky comes to mind. It's just like stop, start, stop, start. It, there's no clean transfer of power. You're fighting two different weights. Um, but yeah, I mean, there just talks about the importance of understanding the mechanics of fly fishing. And this isn't the place to go and talk about fly casting, but when you're casting a fly, you're casting the line. The fly is attached to the end of a leader, attached to the line. So, you know, please keep in mind, fly casting is about throwing the line at the target where the, where the fly then turns over and delivers to where you want it to go. But all the weight is in the line 
not necessarily in the flies. And there's a question farther down that we'll discuss that again. Um, the next question is, favorite fly to use for bass or pike in May or June? My favorite fly for bass, smallmouth bass, in May and June and August is a popper. <laughs> and they're the most classic style is called the boogle bug. I wish I had one to show you, but just do a search of a boogle bug and they come in all different colors. I like the chartreuse color the best and it works to catch so many different things and you can and it comes in all different sizes. So that's my favorite. Um I, I'm more of a you know trying to mimic a bait fish pattern so I'm going to use streamers uh, something that looks like the forage fish that bass and or pike are going to eat um, I I would say I think early season you ah, you know you can get away with all of it at any given time I mean they are fish after all and they're going to do what they want to do but you know if you get to the time of year where you're starting to see Oh, grasshoppers flying around and you're starting to see dragonflies flying around you know once those things are going then you can fish stuff on top in my opinion more effectively just keep in mind like so many times fish are eating underwater so i go that way kim goes another way <laughs> i like to see that surface eat which is so exciting um the best way to put on a new leader without getting it tangled that is a great question and I've learned you be patient and unwrap it very carefully from the very beginning you know stretch it out as you're slowly unwrap it we have one Tony's gonna grab um, and that's the best way patience in unraveling it to start with and right. it, we'll show you just in case there's anyone out there who doesn't know. So this happens to be a bonefish leader, but I'm, and I'm not going to totally unpeel it, but a package leader is going to come wound around itself. And so what I think the best way of doing it is I put my fingers inside to keep it spread apart. I find the end with the manufacturer's loop on the end of that leader. And that just simply wraps around probably five or six times keeps everything together and start at the thick end keep your fingers inside once you get it free then just unwind it and then take a minute and stretch it because it's been in a coil you want it straight so take it you know about two and a half foot sections and stretch it hold it for just a you know three or four seconds then move to the next section and try to get some of that coiling out of it Super important though, put your fingers in there. Otherwise you'll have a big knotted mess and uh, you got a knot in your leader before you even, even made a cast. Yeah. Um, How long of a leader to use in river versus lake or ocean? Oh man, uh, I would say leaders typically are pretty consistent whether, you know, the biggest difference would be uh, clarity of water if you're fishing and really really gin clear water you're going to need to fish longer leaders right so if you're fishing really really clear lake you know i would say definitely a i don't know eight to ten feet long but i would use that same formula in the salt water and i would use that same formula in, in rivers 
Uh, Kim and I have had the pleasure of fishing in New Zealand a few times and the, the rivers there are incredibly clear and those fish are very wary and they're big, big trout. Um, and typically we were fishing anywhere from 14 to 16 foot liters. Um, so, you know, again, package nine foot liter and then you're tying on multiple sections, another five feet maybe of a 4X material gives you about 13 feet. You know, that's a, that's a, you know, that's a pretty long 13, 14 feet. That's a long leader. Yeah. Um, so typically water clarity will determine if you've got sort of not the clearest water, you can get away with eight feet, nine feet pretty effectively. Um, this is a great question. Why do women have better luck fishing than men? I think we kind of talked about this the other night. No kidding. We're more patient typically and don't put, I think, so much stress or pressure on ourselves necessarily to like outfish anyone. Um, but it's the patience. Tony? <laughs> Like that's the biggest thing I think we're more patient. 100%. Uh, I would say uh, patience is the, the best thing that Kim has over me. <laughs> like she'll she's she's much more relaxed typically than I am. Um, I don't know what that is. It's competitive maybe, but um, she's just mellow. And it seems like so many women anglers that I've met are just they're just more mellow. Um, not to say that they don't get excited. They do, but. Uh, Think that makes a big difference in Patience. success yeah. yeah um let's see any fitness routine yeah any fitness routines to prepare for casting all day cast and cast um if you're if you're handy with a hammer or maybe you got a a project that requires pounding a bunch of nails that would be a great way to build some uh, muscle memory in both your wrist and forearm because um, that tends to be where most of the work is taking place as you're fly casting. Um, you know, that comes to mind. But outside of that, it's just, it's it's like bowling or a golf swing. Yeah. It's muscle memory. It's just doing it over and over and over again so that your muscles start to develop the memory to do it consistently. And, you know, when you're first starting, you cast, you spend eight hours on the rod, you know, fishing all day, casting a rod. Man, you're, you're gonna be tired. And let's say you did that on June 1 and you did that every day for a month. By the end of that month, you're not tired. You you wouldn't be tired at all. You'd build up enough muscle memory and you know, you'd be, you'd be in good shape for it. But there's really no fitness routine that I can think of short of- Just practice casting. I don't know. I could be a wise ass here and be like tipping back beverages, but yeah, that's a joke. <laughs> Um, what would be a good setup for a teen that will grow with them? Hmm. Um, if we're talking about like the tackle, the tackle side of it, again, depending on where you are and, you know, what kind of water you're going to be fishing. If we're talking about a lake, I'd look at, I'd look at a five weight or a six weight, maybe a six weight because it's a pretty versatile rod. You could fish trout for it, uh, but you could certainly do all the pan fishing and bass fishing. Yeah. Um, and that will last a long time. I mean, barring, 
you know, breaking the rod, or, you know, you'll have to replace the line, lines do wear out, you know, you'll have to replace flies and, you know, leaders and tippets. If we're talking about, um, like, the apparel side of it, for a teenager, and if I was looking at it like a pair of waders, for instance, um, I would definitely have my teen try on the warmest, thickest clothes that they would ever fish in, and go try on waders. And when you put them on, you want them to fit loose. Um, and so think about the next few years of growth in a teen um, and, and buy a waiter that's slightly larger with a lot of clothes on, because over the, that'll give you the longest window yeah. before you're gonna grow out of it. And you know, probably if you're talking about a 13 year old, you know, you might be able to get three years. Maybe. It's, out, of, it's... out of a pair of waders and a pair of boots but buy, buy it all larger. You can yeah. always add stuff to take up space. You can't remove stuff to make a, a tight fit feel better. And if you're uncomfortable, uh, you're not gonna have a good time. So on the tackle side, a good starter kit, you know, a good five weight, six weight, you know, middle of the road reel, something that, you know, it's fly fishing's cool, like rods and reels last a long long time i mean i'm still fishing rods that are 20 years old and reels that are 20 years old are they as nice as the brand new stuff that we get eh, yes and no you know in some cases they're better in many cases maybe not but point being is the stuff lasts a long time um yeah and like kids grow fast so just have them wear extra clothes try it on just like tony said it's it's a difficult time um, replacing or buying kids apparel, especially. Um, How many pieces are best in a rod do you go for the least number of pieces uh, in any given length? So, that's <laughs> there's really in modern uh, fly rod manufacturing most part it's it's really limited to two options either a four piece or a two piece for my dollar and for i think the ease of getting around with a rod from my car to the house to the river vice versa all those areas i would typically say a four piece rod the way they build them nowadays are they're just so well built and they're designed to be built multiple sections that said two-piece rods now you're only talking about one ferrule connection the cast really nice you know occasionally you'll stumble across one-piece fly rods um, those are premier they're awesome they're definitely a tool uh, they they feel differently in the hand they they're smoother that said they're very difficult to travel with very very difficult and um Dollar for dollar, pound for pound, I'd, I'd say a four-piece rod is, is probably the best option out there. Yeah, especially if you tend on, you know, going out of the U.S. Um, they're just easier just to even travel with. Jump, if you're yeah. ever going to get on a plane, so a four-piece rod is easier. Um, next question, best walleye fly. We use streamers. That's what we typically catch them on. Um, bait, a bait fish pattern. Yeah baitfish pattern something that mimics uh you know maybe is it a shiner is it uh you know i'm not much of a bait angler myself so i don't necessarily know all the different 
types of live bait, but think about what walleye eat, and then you want to try to fly, find a fly that mimics it. And color is important, size is more important. Yeah. The right size of fly for the for their main food source is going to be, you know, that's what you're trying to imitate is their food source. So if the fly is a little darker then, okay. If it's a little lighter, no big deal. But if it's too big or too small, they, won't yeah, they probably won't eat it. So, you know, my experience and Kim's experience, like when we catch walleye, um, which we're not necessarily targeting, it's we're, we're trying to catch bass typically, but we they kind of live in similar areas, you know, um, in rivers that is. And you know, we're typically fishing a fly that's maybe three and a half inches long, maybe four inches long. Yeah. But, but three to four inches ought to be a really good sort of mark for a walleye fly. Um, and it's crazy, we've caught most of our walleye in rivers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what's the best brand of wine? Oh, well, man, load it up. Scientific load it angler. Up. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, I mean, first of all, there's not, uh, fly line manufacturing is, uh, it's a pretty small group within the, the world. Um, there's only a few companies that have the machinery and have taken the time to develop the science and the coatings and the cores. We obviously we work for scientific anglers, but I would say, you know, I'm trying to be impartial, but I really can't. I mean, SA is a, a company out of Midland, Michigan. It's ran by anglers. It's by people who love fishing. That's going to be true of anybody, but they really spend a lot of time. Scientific anglers. They have engineers there that are always working on durability, slickness in the line, the ability for the line to stay clean, um, just long lasting. You can't go wrong with a scientific angler line. And Josh, um, he's the, one of the engineers that creates our lines. And um, go to the scientific angler website. Josh has quite a few YouTube videos out there that just explains jo all the Josh research. Josh Jenkins, his yeah. name is. Um, super informative. He's a great person to listen to about fly lines. He, he's full of knowledge. Um, your favorite rod weight? I would say mine is probably a seven. Um, we use sevens for bass fishing. Like we use sevens almost year round. Um, we go up a size or more than one size when we're musky fishing, but we use sevens for bass in most of the lakes, unless we're specifically targeting bluegill, then we'll drop way down. It's like a four weight. Yeah. Um, but even a seven is good for big trout. Absolutely. Um, seven's small. very versatile. Very, very versatile. Yeah, seven in, in the Midwest for the type of fishing we have in the upper Midwest, when you think about the warm water applications and maybe you're going to fish for some of the, you know, the, call it coastal fish, uh, maybe, you know, some of those places in the UP of Michigan or northern Wisconsin, say the Brule, or maybe you're going to mess around in some of those rivers that are up um, along the North Shore of Minnesota, certainly like uh, uh, Sakakawea, uh, that lake over in Bismarck, you know, I would definitely look at sevens. An eight weight is another great option, you know, and I would say 
industry-wide, like in the fly fishing industry, the number one selling rod weight is a five weight, period, end of story, because of the predominance and the usefulness for that, pr primarily in trout. But in our backyard, six, seven, eight would be sort of the gamut, I think, for what most people are gonna use it for. And if I'm only gonna buy one, I'm gonna probably hit it right in the middle and go with a seven. I love sevens. Uh, they're light enough that it, you know you can lightly cast with them, but you can overline them and put heavier sinking lines on it and the rod will handle it. Yeah. So, yeah. That's all the questions. Hopefully we were able to answer everyone's questions. Um, always, always remember you can go into any of your local Shields stores and their personnel will help you figure out what you need. Absolutely. Um, thank you very much for tuning in. Hopefully, yeah. uh, everybody learned a little something. Um, yeah. We're going to get back to fishing. We're going to go back. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to catch some fish here today. So, uh, I hope you guys all have a great day. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.